Let's open in prayer. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we love you. We give you everything this morning and desire you to do your will. Lord, know our hearts, know my heart. There is nothing that I want to have come out of my mouth that is not of you. I ask that you would even shut me down if I were to take it in a direction of my own thinking. God, I trust you in this and give you my mouth. I give you my will. I give you my hands and my feet. God, to do with it what you want. Send your Holy Spirit. Prepare hearts to receive. Not only here, but online. Father, send out your Holy Spirit for hearts to receive what you have. Even if it's hard. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in very divided times. And we can look throughout the Bible and there are so many examples of when things became divided. We live in those same divided times. The interesting thing is that's Satan's goal. Right? What what does Satan do? He separates and isolates. That's his game plan. It's not it's not a hard game plan. It's not hard to figure out. Because unity is his enemy, especially unity in Christ. That's his enemy. So he separates first and isolates. So division pushed by what Satan is doing, it, it, that's no surprise to any Christian. That's been going on ever since we were born, right? And long before us. But these times are different. Because Jesus said when he came and as he was in Jerusalem, he said, I have come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. And that has been a verse that has been very difficult for theologians, difficult for most Christians to really grasp, really understand. And yet he said it. How often do we see him say things in there that on the surface are hard to grasp and we just leave it alone, kind of set it aside. And then we have our other list of verses that we kind of live by because that one we don't understand or that one might be offensive or that one might have a cost. See, to follow Jesus Christ does cost. It doesn't cost more. What he wants is not more today than it was years ago, than it was even when I was a kid. What he desires is the same day as it was then. But the circumstances do change. He said, I have come to bring a sword. I have come to bring division. And yet up till now, we only saw pieces of that. We never saw the fulfillment of what he said. 
until now. He is bringing a division. Not just what Satan is trying to do in terms of dividing us from God or pulling us, separating us from God. But the Lord himself is bringing a division in choice. If you don't believe me, read the letters to the churches. He talks about that division. He talks about that choice. He even put labels on it. Those who would be hot or cold or lukewarm. And he talked about that division when he said there will come a day when that lukewarm is spit from my mouth. Whatever that means. They will no longer be in play with the hot and the cold. Read it. Revelation chapter 3. I used to think that that was at the final judgment. I used to think that was at the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. After we were gone and, and we're gone from this world and now we get before the Lord and He will spit out the lukewarm. That's what I used to think. That's probably what most Christians, I would think, thought or grew up thinking. Certainly, theologically, what they teach. But they couldn't be more wrong. Because, first of all, the letters to the churches had to do with this life. And where we are in this life, how we handle this life, how we handle our testimony, our relationship with Jesus Christ before our last breath. And then you know the story when, when God showed me Revelation 3 verse 9 in the reading of the bride and what is coming. It made so much more sense to me that this division, this judgment, if you want to call it that, it's really the justice of God will happen in this lifetime. Will happen on this earth. Not when we're before the Bema Seat of Christ. Not after we breathe our last breath. Because see, his justice, Romans 11.11 says that in, in, in what the church does, this mystery that Paul talked about, what the church does will bring, will make Israel jealous. It will bring a jealousy to Israel. Romans 11.11. If you wonder why, you see 11.11 all over the place all the time. It's just the weirdest thing. I can't talk, tell you how many people have told me that. Without me telling them, I've seen the same thing. Now, I don't know if that's the only meaning for it. I don't believe it is. But that's one of them. Because what God is doing is making Israel jealous. He is doing it by his own division, his division of his bride, those who have accepted Jesus Christ in their hearts. That's who his bride is. Not somebody who says, I'm a Christian, reads from some prayer, and says, this is who I am because I'm labeled this. No, that's, that's first of all, that's not what a Christian is. might be today. What? What a Christian is. How sad. If that's a Christian, please don't call me a Christian. But a real Christian, a true Christian, is one who is who has accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. 
who has recognized him as the Messiah, those are considered his bride. And, and I know you guys know this. I need to lay it out for those who will watch. But here's the thing. You have a pretty wide span of his bride. All the way from cold to hot. That's what Jesus said. And you have a lot in between. What is that in between? What is that lukewarm? It is those who recognize God, who love Him, who recognize Him as Creator, who recognize Jesus as Savior, who recognize in my time of need, I can reach out and He can bring me comfort. He sends His Holy Spirit to bring me comfort in my time of need. And, and that probably can resonate with all Christians. That was me for 40-some years in my Christianity. But then there were things that I had to control. Simply because I thought that's how God laid it out. I thought my belief in Him was what I offer Him in this life. And he does come and he comforts me and he helps me. But I need to control my pathway so I can keep on his path. Did that sound a little weird? Because it's supposed to. I'm going to control my pathway so I can stay on his path. And it wasn't until later in life that he taught me that the only way to stay on his path is to let Him control my pathway. Let Him control my steps. So when you have a bride that is so diverted from the will of God, and He has a desire to make His bride ready, what happens? What has to happen? Division. A choice. We started preaching about it last fall. A line in the sand. Where God draws this line and says, choose this side or this side. It isn't choose to believe in God or not believe in God. No, we all believe in God. That's a different line. But he's saying to his bride, choose. Here's the line of division. You will choose hot or you will choose cold. The hot is obvious. The cold is not. Don't think somebody's hot simply because they talk about God or talk about who they are or they're a preacher. No, there are lines of that division that, is come, that has come to expose what somebody is. Expose the inner hearts of who they are. Every person here has been given that choice. Every person in the bride will be given that choice to choose him in the hot or to choose control in the cold. Don't fool yourself. There's no middle ground. Because see, for years, my entire lifetime and long before that, there's been that middle ground. There's been lots of middle ground. It doesn't mean that it was any more fortifying to my life or, or helpful to my life or anybody's life before me. It just means that his justice 
did not come because of the timing. The timing that we are in right now is the justice and brings on the justice of God. And by the way, you could choose to believe me or not. You could choose to believe God or not. Truth is not truth because of what you choose to believe. Truth is truth because it is God's truth. Period. This line that he draws for you to choose hot or cold. I don't know how obvious it will be to those who choose to be deceived. Because it's their choice to be deceived. I can tell you those who choose in to press into the Lord and say, Lord, I want you no matter what. I want to be right before you. I can tell you God will make it clear to you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, He will make it clear to you. That's His promise. He simply says if we seek Him, what? We'll find Him. If we seek Him, we'll find Him. But those who would live a life controlling their Christianity, controlling their testimony, and, oh, Lord, those pastors, those ministry leaders that would walk in that deception. Man, this is your hour. This is your time to choose because we have had a first woe. Call it whatever you want. We call it a woe. But you can label it however you want. We had the first one. We had the one that was laid out before the bride to show choice, to make a choice. And many made a choice. Many became hot. Many have become cold. But see, that isn't the justice. That was the warning. There is a second woe coming. There is a second woe that will bring His justice. And there will be a cost. He has not released me to say a lot about this yet, but He will. All I could tell you is there will not be any allowance for middle ground. There just won't be. I don't, I'm not going to say the timing of it. I, I'm not going to preach into any of that except that you have a choice laid before you. So he is bringing this division. How does that apply to our lives? That, you know, it's interesting because so often, I don't know what the Lord is going to preach through me until I get up here or during worship and, and stuff like that. And that, that's hard enough. I used to think that was hard. It's actually harder, I'm learning, when he gives me th- something a little bit in advance. Because then I, I just accumulate so much in the discussion with him over it that I'm not sure how to put it all together. That's where I sit this morning. Because he started showing me this yesterday. And last night and this morning. I mean, so much so I, I actually have notes. I mean, how, how often does that happen? 
Oh, Lord, I pray that the organization is yours and not mine. But we find ourselves at a difficult time in history. A time where the church has laid in their card to say, we will stay out of this for years. They've stayed out of, out of the political debate. They've stayed out of, out of the, the influence in this country. That's not how God wants it. That's not how it's supposed to be. No, from the very beginning, it was the, the hot of his bride were intended to lead. And we've taken those, those courses of leadership and we've given them away. So God is bringing division even among the bride. He's bringing division certainly in this country. You see it all over the place. There is a political atmosphere in everything we do. Why do you think that is? How about because God's not going to allow it to be separate anymore? God's not going to allow us to live a life separate anymore because He demands that we are hot for Him. So we find ourselves in some difficult positions politically. Because, see, Jesus Christ isn't running for president. Wish He was. But if he was, then that would be a whole different scenario, then wouldn't it? We'd already be gone. Israel would be here. He'd be ruling in a thousand year reign. But he is operating through his bride. And so we have to look at the situation. And we have to not try to assess, but say, God, what do you want? What are you saying? And I want to bring out one point this morning that I think drives everything. I would stake my life on it. I do stake my life on it. And it, it was brought up this week. It drove me insane. Facebook does sometimes. I was reading a post from somebody who, I, I don't even know them. They're, they're just... Somebody that's one of my friends, another speaker or whatever he is. And he had put on there a real simple statement. And, and it was um, basically that there is only one candidate that is against abortion. And he was speaking to the church, speaking to the bride. And he said... You have no other choice, case closed. Well, as you can imagine, he got a lot of comments on that. And the comments from the world, whatever, I, I don't even care. But the comments from Christians, that's what drove me nuts. And then there was one in particular that really drove me nuts. And it was this person who who had this level of arrogance and went in there and said, you clearly are a single-issue voter. 
unlike myself, that takes into consideration all the things that a person says and all the platform that a person is. And, and I evaluate those things and come to a conclusion myself. And God honors that. Shame on them. Shame on them. God honors truth. Truth. That's all he honors. I want to lay a reason out this morning why being a single issue voter is right. Now, I'm not saying that I don't care about other issues. I care about lots of issues. I, I could probably sit here and count up a couple hundred. I'm a couple hundred issue voter. Okay, but there are issues that I would not vote in a certain direction. I would not vote for Donald Trump for certain things. But see, when it comes down to it, there is a hierarchy of authority that we have to understand. It's a hierarchy that Satan has taken for years. Fifty to be exact. Fifty years. If you understand authority, then you're going to understand this concept. If you don't understand authority, I really suggest that you start digging into Ephesians 6. Digging into how Satan operates. Revelation 12. So many others. How he operates in deception to deceive even God's people. When you understand that, then you're going to understand this message. Until you understand that, you will live in deception and not be able to. This idea of authority. Satan gains authority when we give it to him. Certainly personally, and we've talked about that many times, if we, if we sin, we give authority, and that sin becomes worse. If we don't take it to the Lord and ask forgiveness. It's kind of like somebody who, who takes drugs, takes, takes heroin, whatever. The first time they do that, they do not become an addict. But they give authority away that drives them to that addiction. It's authority that they give. They have it. We each have authority over our own selves. We, we have choice. That's what I mean by authority is God gave you the right to choice. So you have the authority of your own choice. Not just in choosing God or not choosing God, but in everything. You have authority. Satan spends your entire life trying to take that authority from you. And I, I think most Christians, whether they even understand the spirit world or not, they would agree with that. I would have agreed with that even long before now, understanding what I understand. The problem is that he doesn't just do that to individuals. See, principalities at their baseline have a hunger to control land. If you control the land, you control the people. If you control the people, you control the direction of the people. I mean, that seems pretty basic, right? 
So what does Satan try and do? He tries to take authority of those people. Authority of that land. Think of it in terms, because what we're speaking of this morning, is it applies globally, but we're speaking specifically of America. From the very beginning, Satan tried to take the authority over America. Why did he do that? Because he knew what God wanted to do with it. He knew what America was supposed to be and is supposed to be. Not just what it is now, but what it is supposed to become. He knew. So he tried systematically to take as much of the authority as he could. And he's been able to over time, but there came a point where it became huge. And that was back in 1970. When abortion became the law of the land. That you were allowed to abort babies. Now, by the way, in saying this, I know, I know women that have had abortions. I know couples that have, by choice, had abortions. This isn't about your condemnation. This is about the step of authority that that gave away. And that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about on a national level, what we have by law given away in authority to the enemy is the very thing that keeps keeps us held under his thumb, and that is abortion. If you don't believe me, if you think, well, yeah, that's an important issue, you know, but there's these other issues. There's prayer in schools. There's, there's the, the gay rights and, and marriage. And, and there's the, the gender this. And I'm going to be this even though I'm that. And whatever. There's so much messed up stuff that you could point out and say, well, yeah, it's abortion or this or this or this or this or this. No. You have to understand all of that comes under the blood. All of it. Every last bit of it. Do you know what has changed in this nation just in the last 50 years? Now you can blame that on me because I'm 55. Or wait, am I 56? (laughs) But the bottom line is when abortion was approved, go look back at history. Look back at history, how it has started to go further and further and further away from God. Even over the last 15, 20 years, we have gone further away from God. It's because of the authority. I want to share with you, I, I want you to first turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. And by the way, I want to say this too. Everybody knows 2 Timothy 3, 5, right? And I'll read it here. It says, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Then in verse 7, it says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. This is 90% of the bride right now. 90% of the bride. 
where they think the closeness with God, where they think the relationship with the Lord is, is gained in knowledge of Him. Knowledge of who He is. Well, I'll tell you what. You can read letters about me. You could le- read letters from me. You could read a book about me. You could read what people say about me. But until you know me, you don't know me. It's no different with God. God gave us His Word so we could be drawn to Him personally. Build a personal relationship. And yet, so many look at it through the knowledge. Well, I, I know. I know the whole Bible. I, I know this. I know that. And I'm good. Because you know what? You ask me, and I have an answer for you. Where's the application? I know so many people like that. So many people. Where their knowledge is there. But they literally, just like it says in verse 7, always learning and never, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Because see, it's just facts to them. An accumulation of facts. It's not relationship. And verse 5, going back to that, is literally the output of that mindset. Having the appearance of godliness. Walking in some sort of righteousness. You see this all the time in pastors. Where they walk in this righteousness and they... They, they speak in a certain way and they pray in a certain way and they walk in a certain way. And then you find out there's hidden sin in their lives. That's tragic. It's tragic. By the way, it doesn't mean that I don't want to be a Christian because of that. What I want is them to get their lives straightened back out. We've seen examples of this. I sadly, this, this last week, week and a half, we saw an example of it at my alma mater with Jerry Jr. See, I met him. I knew him. I talked to him a couple times when he would come home. He was at law school. It was when I was there in college. And I was friends with Jonathan, and we'd be over at, at their house, and he'd come in, and he was just this tall, dark-haired guy. At law school, we weren't quite cool enough to talk to him, but we got to talk a little bit. But I I did see his heart because I saw it through his father, through Jerry Falwell. I know this isn't how it started out. And for the longest time in, in all the stuff that came out, it was giving him the benefit of the doubt until I saw a Forbes article that he did where he said, I'm so glad to be away from liberty. I'm free. I'm free at last, he quoted Martin Luther King Jr. And it just, it just broke my heart. But see, that is an example of what God is doing. We keep saying that, that he's drawing this line in the sand and forcing people to choose. Guess what? He forced him to choose. Nobody exposed Jerry Jr., but Jerry Jr., nobody. He's the one that tweeted the photos. 
and then retracted them. By the way, don't tweet or put out anything online that you're just kind of doing as a joke. Think first. Because once it's out there, it's out there even if you delete it. So it was his choice that he did this. Why do you think that is? Oh, he just had a bad day. No! We're at a time in life, a time in history, where God is saying, your yay must be yay, and your no must be no. And I'm going to expose it. Expect others. Expect lots of others. Because they're going to come out, not just preachers, not just ministry leaders, but it will focus on them. Because they're the influencers. Those who use Christianity to be part of a circle of influence. But they're not influencing for God. They're influencing for intellectualism. What they can control. Breaks my heart. I, I, I do pray for him. I pray for his family. Because see, God's gifted him in amazing ways. You see that in what liberty has become. And, and I wouldn't not send my kid to liberty. I mean, Brooke graduated from there. Yvonne, she, yeah, many in here have. Yvonne, whether she realizes it or not, I probably shouldn't say that either. But. No, she wants to go to Liberty, right? Didn't you say? Yes. Yes, Dad, I do. I would definitely endorse this school because this school and what Jerry Jr. has done to the school in building its infrastructure has been phenomenal. That's not the course for its religion. No, I think even the school has a line in front of it. Are we going to just follow the precepts of Jesus or are we going to let him run this school? I believe that's why this was found out. And, and it's not just going to be this. It's going to be so many others. That, that pastor down in Georgia, I don't even know who he is, but it's a mega church down there where he came out and said that, that abortion is right in the Bible. I didn't even bother reading the whole thing. I, I didn't even, I mean, it just, it was amazing to me, but it was another example of that line being forced. People to show who they are, where they are. You're going to see it more and more coming up to November 3rd. Why? Because Donald Trump is, is God or God's servant or, you know, he represents God and the other represents Satan. No. Because God is ready to do something with his bride and he's forcing a choice. So again, back to abortion here. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 35-38 says this. And this is, this is where I want you to... to and, and by the way, I want you to share this on the internet, share this, this message. This is an important concept to get a hold of. Verse 35 of Ezekiel 16 says, Therefore, O prostitute, 
Okay, and by the way, he's talking to Israel here. This is not talking to a person. He's talking to Israel, and Israel was a prostitute because she believed in other gods. Just to give you a little backstory there. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered and your whorings with your lovers and with your abominable idols... And get this next sentence. And because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure. All those you loved and all those you hated, I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged. And bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. What is the main theme here? That it was because of his judgment was coming. Because of what? Blood. The importance of blood. The importance of blood is so much more critical than we realize. Because what it is. Is it is that force that gives authority. The blood is the life force that gives authority. So then we turn to this idea of abortion. And this idea of abortion taking the child in the womb and literally that child is being sacrificed. Whether you want to think it's that or not, doesn't matter. Well, no, it's, it's not really just that. It's, it's that, you know, we're, we're just getting rid of something that isn't there anyways. And it was a mistake. It, you know, I, I have these, I printed this out. This blows me away. It hurts. It really hurts. Why women have abortions, and by the way, I know, I know this is obviously focused on women because men don't get pregnant. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> this is focused on women, but this is women and men. Understand, the authority comes from the guy. Okay? This is a survey of women that gave reasons why they had abortions. They're not ready for a child or another child. The timing is just wrong. That's 25%. Can't afford a baby right now. That's 23%. Have completed my childbearing years and all my children are grown. That's 19%. Don't want to be a single mother or I'm having relationship problems. That's 8%. Don't feel mature enough to raise Another child, or I feel I'm too young, that's 7%. It would interfere with my education or career plans, that's 4%. Physical problems with my health, 4%. Do you know in the extended survey, because I remember when, when abortion was first being argued. I was a little kid, but I remember watching it. On TV, and and it was, well, yeah, but what about rape and incest? What about in the case of this? That's why we should have abortion. Do you know that's less than 1%? It's actually less than a half a percent. 
of the reasons. And then the, the other argument is the choice between the mother and the child. You know, when it's a choice of life or life, you, you gotta choose the mother. Okay. I, I'm not even going to bother arguing that right now. It's less than 4%. Don't kid yourself that that's why abortions are happening. Abortions are happening because America has made convenience and control their idol. They have prostituted themselves before God to say, I will control my life. I will have the fun that I want to have. Because there are ways to take care of things if something goes wrong. When there's that surprise. See, America has prostituted themselves. And what they have done is given the authority of 60 million babies' blood to the enemy. Don't confuse. This is not. This is not just about somebody. How it affects their individual lives. Satan salivates at the potential of abortion because it is like handing him a scroll of authority with each one. That's what's happening. I want you to turn to Psalm one thirty nine. You all know most of these. Man, I shake so bad. Verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it. Very well. See, we all know that God knew about us long before even my parents knew each other. God knew about me. He knew about me before He even created the world. But see, there comes a moment of agreement, of human agreement with God's plan, where we give Him our agreement. When God had a plan to bring a person into this world, no matter the circumstances, no matter the circumstances, His plan was good for that child. His plan was not for that child to be killed. Certainly not aborted and that authority given to Satan. Does that make sense? I mean, it seems pretty elementary to me. But it's just not to the bride. I get it that the world doesn't get this. I get that. I'm not even talking to the world. God has things coming for the world. Trust me, he will get their attention. In this second woe, he will get their attention. He has shown it to me. That's not who I'm talking about. I am talking about the bride. I'm talking about the bride that doesn't... and, and. By the way, I'm talking about myself just 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, where I, of course, I'm against abortion, but I put it in the 
category of importance somewhere down the line and, and certainly under some of the other key things like economy. You know, how things affect me, how I pay taxes. And sadly, you see that still. There are preachers right now that are, that are going, and, and first of all, understand this. Donald Trump is the only candidate coming against abortion. The only one. He is the only one in years that has actually done something about it. Do you understand that? How's that work in your little plan of Donald Trump being a good Christian? Does it? Does it? Because, see, there are these preachers out there that look at him and, and say, well, you know, he can't be a Christian. He, he certainly can't be one that represents me. Because he's mean. He's an adulterer. He's this. He's that. Wow, who's that remind you of? Reminds me of Mary, who came to Jesus, who was a prostitute. And Jesus just said, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. Just go and live a life for me. See, I, I don't know Donald Trump. But I do know that Jesus can have the same encounter with him. Yeah, his life doesn't show that, he, that he's a Christian, even though he, he says he's a Christian. I don't know if he's saved or not. I do know this. You can be saved and have some of the most off-the-wall thoughts that are against God. How about 80% of the bride is that way? How about those who I was talking about before that I was a part of that didn't even think about the importance of abortion? And what it really represents in terms of authority in this country. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You understand that what he did with Jeremiah is no different than what he does with every single person that he creates. And, and yes, by the way, we are procreated, but we are created. Did, did you know that you're a created being? You're not the first created being because you come from created beings. But think about this, a single cell that splits. Splits again, splits again, and so forth and so on. The same information is all in that first cell, but all of a sudden, other information starts popping up in the DNA. How to become a heart. How to become a lung. God is involved in every single person's creation. He creates the literal makeup of who they are and their bodies. So that's what he's saying here is I already had this plan long before you were even in the womb. Long before that. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I'm just going to read 
beginning at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose, and, and, and again, this was uh, Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth, her cousin, who was, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, right? And, and uh, John was uh, about six months before Jesus, if I, if I got that correct. But In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb, the baby leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is, is the fruit of your womb. And why, this, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So while the baby was in the womb, it had a reaction to something external. Turn to Leviticus chapter 17. Verse 11, Leviticus 17, verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. The life of the flesh is in the blood. This is the Bible. This is not me saying this. We all know this. If, if you didn't have your blood, you wouldn't be alive, right? What happens when a person gets shot is it? It, it's, it, let, let's say let's say a carotid artery is cut. Is the fact that 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 artery is cut does that kill them? No, it's the blood that comes out of it that kills them. When they are drained of that blood, it kills them. It says right here in verse eleven, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I looked up. Now, we, we've already read verses that talked about that life beginning right at the conception, right at the, the initiation of those cells being divided. But I looked up just a normal, actually a worldly website, because I wanted to find out when does the fetus actually have their own blood? Obviously, they, they are working through the mother and, and all that. But when do they have their own blood? Because I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, a couple months into this thing. It's a nine-month process, maybe a couple months in and whatever. No, I was really surprised. 20 weeks. 20 weeks from inception. It said here, and I, I wrote it down, the heart of a fetus begins to pump fluid through blood vessels by day 20. And can actually be earlier than that. And the first red blood cells appear the very next day. Okay, this is, this is long before most people even know they're pregnant. So do you understand why to Satan an abortion is so powerful? Because it is taking the sacrifice of that baby's blood. You don't have to have a lot. You don't have to have to, yeah, all, all he needs is a cell. How do I know this? Because Jesus' blood paid for all of us. 
Was he just this big guy that had gallons and gallons and gallons of blood? We all get a drop. No, do you know one drop? One drop was justification for our sin to be covered. One drop. That's how precious blood is to God. So it's no surprise that Satan would try and take that from him. And that's what he's done in abortion. What is the blood with Jesus represent? Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And I know know I'm throwing a lot at you, but the concept is all the same. Hebrews chapter 9 Verses 17, or beginning at 17, says this. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force. And this is a will like, you know, if if you have a will and you die and all your stuff goes to me, you know, whatever. (laughs) No, but it's a will that you leave after your death. It It only takes effect at death. Since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything that is purified with, uh, I'm sorry, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, that's a concept that they knew. In the Old Testament, that there had to be this shedding of blood. That's why the prophecy of a Messiah coming. Why they didn't understand that he would have to shed his blood. We can look from this perspective and say, why didn't they get that? But of course he did. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, You who once were far off has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Why is that? Because his flesh was broken and the blood was spilt. It was his blood that paid for our sin. That's why it's a gift. That's why you don't have to earn Salvation, you don't have to earn justification of sin. All you have to do is receive it. You believe it and receive it. Because He did it all. He paid it all. We don't have to give blood in order to get saved. Here, here, take some of my blood so I can be saved. No, Jesus paid it all. He paid it with His righteous, 
perfect body that was broken, that was torn apart for us. In this blood, we claim victory. And boy, this is, Satan knows this better than any Christian. In that blood, you can claim the authority, which is the victory. I want you to turn, and you all know this one, Revelation chapter 12. This is the most telling verse of how Satan operates. You know, and I'm just going to start at verse 10 here. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. By the way, that right there tells you this has not happened yet. Satan still moves about. He still is a lion seeking whom he can devour. He still has access to heaven, to the courts. He still is our accuser day and night. None of that has changed. Not yet, but it's coming. And it's coming very quickly. We're already seeing it in the courts. Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So there will come a time where he is thrown out of heaven. He does not have, and by the way, he doesn't just hang out in heaven. It's not what it's talking about. You know, go up there, have an iced tea, and just kind of sit and look at the landscape. It's not what he does. He has access to the courts. Because the courts are in heaven. But it says there's coming a time where he's going to be thrown down. And, and by the way, he's going to be thrown down because of the bride. And because of what Jesus Christ does through the bride. Look at what it says. Because it says, and they have conquered him. Okay? Not Jesus. Jesus already conquered him. Jesus conquered him when he gave his life. When he conquered death, Jesus has already conquered Satan. You and I have not. Do you understand that? You and I have not conquered Satan. We battle him. We have not conquered him. The bride has not yet conquered him. But she will. And he said, this is how they do it. Or looking back on it, this is how they did it. They have conquered him by what? The blood of the Lamb. Not just the fact that they were saved, that they were part of his bride, but because of the power of his blood that was sacrificed. It all goes back to the blood. The blood of what he gave, that life force that he gave for us. So we conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's the relationship. So we're saved. We recognize what Jesus Christ's blood did for us. We've built relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's the word of our testimony. 
And then the third one that Lex says all the time that just people leave out because they don't like that part. And they cared not for their lives even unto death. Are you a Christian that doesn't care about your life even unto death? See, that's been something that we haven't had to worry about. I mean, except maybe going to Nigeria, those of you who have gone and that sort of thing, or certain circumstances. But we're certainly in a country where your life will not be required of you because you are a believer in God. What if that changes? What if we go through a period where it is a life and death choice? Will you care about your life and hold back your testimony? See, this is the dividing line. This is why God will only take the hot. Do you understand? He he can't take people that say, I will fight, I will fight. And then when the fight comes, turn and run. Mm -hmm. He can't. Makes me think of Gideon. Gideon thought that he was going to go fight the Syrians with, what was it, 30,000 or 33,000? I think it was 33,000. God's new, way too many, way too many. But let's, let's take out all the people that have families, all the people that are afraid, all the people, all the people that are pretty obvious, they're not going to fight for you. Let's take them out. Got down to 10,000 and he's like, okay, well that's a lot less, but okay, you know, it's pretty much 12 to 1 now, but you know, okay. He said, no, no, we're still not even close. Go take them down to the brook, and and the ones that lift the water to their lips, they're the ones you take. Because they're the ones that aren't going to run in the battle. It was 300. You know this story. I'm not going to go over it. See, God made the He brought the people to the fight that he knew would not turn away. By the way, interesting thing about Gideon... Did that mean that they were forced to fight? They didn't fight. I mean, technically, the only thing they beat up was a jar of pottery that they were holding the, the light in. And when, when God said to do it, they all break the, you know, you know the story. They didn't have to fight until the major part of the war was won, and all they had to do is pursue and do cleanup. See, God fought for them. God's going to fight for us. But he is only going to take his warriors that will not turn away. Man, get this, guys, because, and even this, even you here, get this, because this is the choice of recognizing the real reality and what's going on. And not just looking at your life with career or job or or spouse, or, or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and, and, you know, I just have all these facets of my life. No, recognize right now that you are being asked, are you a warrior that will turn and, and run? Or are you a warrior that will fight in the face 
of overwhelming odds. Because those are who he's going to take. And it says victory, victory, victory is accomplished by these two things, or these three things. Our relationship with him, right? Our not caring for our lives, but first and foremost, by his blood that he used to pay for us. I want to end with just reading just a short paragraph. Many of you have probably already seen this. Lana put a word out yesterday that, by the way, read the, read the whole word. Um, this is a word from the Lord. The Lord told us a long time ago, we've, we've had this connection with Lana from, we don't know her at all. Haven't met her. She has no idea who we are. But yet, she... <laughs> She has said things in our most intimate groups that the Lord said and, he, and has proven out over and over again the words that he gives her. But I want to read this because this is what's happening right now. The Lord showed me a remnant, and this is, this is the word from, that Lana gave, the word of the Lord. The Lord showed me a remnant pressing in in these times right now. Many who have been crying out. I saw many on their faces before the Lord in tears, weeping in repentance and intercession over the nation. I saw many that had come into deep encounter with the heart of God and his strategy for the hour and were decreeing it and crying out. I could feel the rumblings of an army arising in the nation and in a strength. Resolve and faithfulness like has not been seen before. And I felt the heart of the Lord calling forth for a greater unity and alignment. Oh Lord, let this be our prayer. Let this be our prayer that the bride become hot and unified together. If you don't think that this is, I mean, what they're saying, that this is the most critical election in the history of this country, then you don't understand the power of the blood. And it's okay to be a one-issue voter because that one issue gives authority to the rise of everything else. Alexis, come on up. I just want to say, for anybody listening that may be here that um, has themselves or knows someone, that has had an abortion. It's, it's a really important thing to understand the forgiveness of God. Yes. Even though it is, there are serious consequences. The Lord sees sin as the same, but yet there are greater consequences for certain things that we do. But for the believer, we, you know, we talked about this morning in the women's class, identity, as Brooke alluded to in worship, and who we are in Christ. And 
understanding that first John 1 9 says if we confess our sin he as a just judge is faithful to forgive us our sin cleanse us from all unrighteousness that is so 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 important because in this time in these perilous times in this line in the sand part of the reason why people are struggling with the line is that they get intimidated by what the enemy says around them and nothing will intimidate you more than Satan bringing up your past sins. You have got to know who you are in Christ and that you are forgiven. Yes. You know, scripture tells us to agree with our adversary or our accuser quickly. Agree with them. Why? Recognize, yes. Okay, you're bringing that up again? Yes, I did that. If it's not confessed, confess it. Otherwise, agree and say, yes, I did that. And the blood of Jesus forgave me. Praise God that part of my testimony now is that in spite of that, God loves me, uses me, and I am forgiven, and I am clean, and I am in right standing yes. before him. Amen. We have got to walk in that kind of boldness. Do not let the enemy bring back up any of your old junk. First of all, if the Holy Spirit is bringing it up, it is for your good. It is for your purification, not for your shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We need to walk in that boldness so that we're not intimidated. And that comes from Philippians 1.28. Don't be intimidated by your enemy. Because every time you're not intimidated, it is a reminder of his demise, of his defeat, and of how you have conquered, just like Revelation 12 talks about. That's the word of our testimony. Yeah. The blood of the Lamb did it. The word of our testimony is our faith. Yeah. And the cost of our faith is loving not our lives unto death. So this is, these are exciting times, important times. Uh, it can be a little bit ominous, but I'll tell you what, the line is, um, and, and as Brooke shared so, so beautifully, and I know the Holy Spirit was on why that word was that you defined at the end when he said the word dependent. We were all asked to say that wasn't online, but the cards I gave each woman was to write down the word that defines you from what, at the beginning, and then at the end of the class, whatever the Lord reveals, and the Holy Spirit enlightens, and the one at the end for her was dependent. And really, that's the difference between the hot and the cold. Um, the control that he speaks of. So much control is in self-reliance. Whatever you think you can control, clearly you think you can control within yourself. And that line is really about recognizing our dependency on God, who God is in his greatness, but then who he says we are. And boy, if we knew who God said that we were, there would be, if just his creation in humans, made in his own image, knew who they were, there'd be no such thing as abortion. The other thing I, I want to say, too, that's very important to just recognize, um, and I wanted to address the condemnation thing first, but don't forget that um, because of the power of the blood and how it fuels, everything Satan does is a counterfeit. And so anything in Satan worship, you'll notice, is always attached to something blood. Blood sacrifices, you see it all throughout the Old Testament. But abortion is literally satanic worship. Mm -hmm. People may not recognize that. That's part of the deception. And the deep, deep deception is that believers have become dulled to the reality of what it really means when those things go on. Because there's no believer that wouldn't rise up really knowing and understanding that something was Satan worship. There's no believer that wouldn't stand up and fight against that. That's worshiping Satan. We're not for that. 
but they become so dulled and it becomes about self-preservation or self-comfort or the things that he mentioned. But you have to understand what these acts are. Satan doesn't, part of his best strategy is that he deceives us into not thinking that things are so bad. And so when you really know the word and you let the Holy Spirit enlighten you on these areas, he will make it clear. And, um, and I do find that the believers, uh, it seems, uh, based on their words, and our words can condemn us. We have to be very careful what we say, what we put out there, uh, because it can be used against us. There can be even authorities that you open and invite into your own life based on your own words. So you have to be very, very careful. power of life and death is in the tongue. But the people that are standing up against the timing of who God has called to be the president. Again, not about the president. It's not about humans. It's about what God is doing. The believer needs to look to what God is doing. The people in David's time could have easily just said adulterer, you know, hot-tempered warrior guy, you know, and then after what he did to Uriah, how evil can you get? And yet God said he's a man after God's own heart. So we can't lean on our own understanding. We have to acknowledge when people say, and Greg just said it so perfectly when they said sometimes their greatest criticism is he doesn't reflect me. If he's, you know, we, we need a man that if he talks to be a Christian or says that he's done a lot of things for the evangelical movement, he doesn't represent me. Be careful. Because um, wherefore let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. We have to be very careful we're not on a high horse of self-piety um, and, and all of our responsibility. There is flaws in every single person, and I don't say flaws lightly. There's a lot of wickedness in our own testimonies and certainly in the testimony of Donald Trump. But the most, empower, most important thing is that we pray for his encounter and that we recognize that like, like a Cyrus, Though he did not know me, yet I called him to do what he was to do at that time. God can use people even though they don't know him first. God's plan is sovereign, it's perfect, and it's higher than our thoughts and than our ways. So if you are bogged down, if you feel like you're called into a lot of these arguments and debates about this election season because politics is everywhere, our answers as believers is, God, what are you doing? Not what's happening in the culture. Those are factors we see. But our heart ought to be in tune with God's heart. God, what are you doing? Who are you using and what are you doing? Because I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is to be done. And as we connect with his heart, we'll pray according to his will. Um, so this was a heavy word, and I do hope you'll do a deep dive into these scriptures. But let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father God... We just love you, God. We thank you. We thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, for everything starting at the cross. What we carry as believers because of the blood and what it paid for. Oh, God, we're just so grateful. You are so worthy to be worshipped. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for the access you give us to fellowship with you, to relationship with you. And then to walk in the authority, in the I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Not of ourselves. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But in you, we can accomplish everything that you set out for us to do. Oh, I praise you for that. 
God, I ask again, as we unite our hearts in this closing prayer, we ask in the name of Jesus that this nation turn back to you. That those that do not know you will accept you as Savior. And those that know you will turn and repent of any idols that have come before you. And that they will say, you are supreme in their life. God, I ask that you open the eyes of your people. Expand and widen the remnant. God, we just owe you. We owe you the worship of our entire lives. Not of a carved out time in our schedule together on a Sunday morning. But every breath we have, you deserve. Let us have no plans for our lives of ourselves. What in the world plan is there in this life that's so temporary when it's only an interview for where we are in eternity? God, I pray that all the longings, all the desires, all the yearnings within our heart, that you would tell us how to fulfill those. That you would put the plans in our hearts to step into places and positions of influence and authority. God, that we might be that light that shines in the world. That we might carry your kingdom and invade this realm with your power by the Holy Spirit. God, we love you so much. And you deserve that. You are worthy. So help us to do your will. And do your will in this election. In the name of Jesus. Amen.